Welcome to the Aaron Novello Podcast. Are you looking to master the art of real estate sales? Do you want to level up your business and lifestyle? You are in the right place. Aaron and his guests share winning real estate sales strategies and techniques and show you how to win the inner game that leads to financial freedom. Get ready. Here is your host, top producing real estate agent and coach to some of the top agents in the U.S. and internationally, Aaron Novello. Welcome back, Novello Nation, to another episode of the Aaron Novello Podcast. I have with us an absolute rock star. I like to call him the Tiger Woods of real estate. He's been exposed to this game from an early age, been doing it for a super long time. He's a friend. We've done kind of mission work together, taking a trip to Haiti, uh, used to share rooms together uh, when we went to learning events. The one and only Mr. Greg Sisson. How you doing, brother? Uh, doing great, Aaron. It's good to see you as always, and it's been too long. So thanks for having me. Yeah, man, my pleasure. I always like to be intentional and purposeful with people that we bring to the platform that I feel can add tremendous value. And I know you're definitely one of those people. So I thought it would be interesting uh, for the audience to kind of walk us through, because I said Tiger Woods of real estate, and I don't, I don't know if they understand what I mean by that. So talk to me about kind of growing up watching right uh, a parent in the real estate game yeah well my dad gary uh interesting analogies in the golf my dad was a, a big golfer in kentucky and would take golf trips to myrtle beach where we live now and with his buddies in the late 70s and somebody said gary you'd be pretty good in real estate so he left uh he was a pharmacist had three drug stores with a partner sold out moved us to myrtle beach in 1981 got into real estate and then become a, became a trainer, uh, a listing or a real estate trainer. So I watched him, you know, as an agent and then as a real estate trainer. So I got early on, I heard this, Aaron, listings are the name of the game. They always will be. And they always have been. I mean, I was like middle school hearing that stuff. So I've kind of had an advantage, I believe, as a real estate salesperson of kind of been groomed in that culture because he was, a uh, you know, some of the people may know um, Floyd Wickman out of Detroit, Michigan was his mentor and who he worked for as a trainer. That is awesome. Now I wrote down because you said from a young age, you were getting kind of <laughs> these messages, <laughs> right? That yeah. things are the name of the game. So talk to me a little bit about, you said that you feel like that was an advantage. Why do you feel that was an advantage? Well, when I got into, um, I started in on-site sales in 1997 and I did that for about a year and a half. And I learned very quickly that no matter how good you were, it was more of like whoever's up next. It's kind of a luck of the draw because I worked with a guy that um, would be, he'd party all night and he would come in bloodshot eyes. And I was there early, had the first up, and then they would come in and they'd check on the card two years, I'm buying. Then the next up, he'd be asleep in the model. And he literally, this is true. He would say, wake me up on the next up. Two hours later, somebody comes in, they check on the card. When do you want to buy? Now. Ah, crap. So I go wake him up and he takes him out, makes a sale. And I'm like, okay, general real estate is where I need to be, where I can go create my own kind of destiny, so to speak. So the advantage of understanding about listings is when I came into real estate in 99 as a general real estate agent, Century 21, I started off as a listing agent. I, I rarely worked with buyers. I did a few, but I kind of had the mentality of, of, uh, of listings were the name of the game for a, a, a real true sustainable business. Yeah, that's awesome. I wrote down here that 
that experience, uh, it sounds like demonstrated to you that there's not much power in waiting. Yeah. And kind of sitting and waiting for people to show up. It's not predictable. It's the other thing I wrote down and it's not duplicatable. So you really wanted to have control uh, yeah. of your kind of financial destiny in the real estate game. So you recognize like, oh, I need to really focus on listings. Now, when you say that at the beginning of your career, talk to me a little bit about the commitment that that took, right? For you to say, you know what? I'm, I'm primarily, if not exclusively, going to work with sellers. Hmm. I mean, it didn't, it wasn't very difficult, Aaron, because I didn't know any better. Uh, and I went to work with a guy that a lot of your listeners may know of named Greg Harrelson, Ron and Greg, his father, I, I worked with them and they didn't work with buyers. I mean, we just, we were listing, it was a listing agency type of, 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 of culture. Therefore, um, it was just, we go in, we prospected three to four hours a day and we go on listing appointments in the afternoon. And that was that's just was what I was kind of brought up in. That was the culture of the company. That's awesome. So it's not only did you have that kind of exposure at a young age. That's why I say Tiger Woods of real estate, right? Like kind of hearing about this idea that, okay, listings is where all the leverage is at. Then your experience in retail, right? And resale right. was in an environment where they were like, hey, this is just what we do. Yeah. And, and I guess, talk to me a little bit about, again, because I don't know if the listeners understand how much of an advantage that is, because I'm aware, not only being in the game, but also coaching and training and speaking, that um, there's a disconnect there. And I remember somebody told me one time that you can't be world-class at both, hmm. right? So talk to me about like how much that made such a critical impact in the trajectory of your business once you made that commitment to the listing side. Well, I mean, I learned early on, like that we had more control of our time. Um, you know, on the weekends, I rarely would work on the weekends. Um, if I left on a vacation or if I was out for a few days, you know, I could, you can still make sales versus because you have inventory. So, I mean, it's that old employer-employee kind of distinction. Um, so, I certainly understood really early on um, that that was the way I could have more of a a sustainable path. Um, and just, a, I mean, I hate the word balance because we're all out of balance on many levels, but it did create uh, an opportunity not to have to work on the weekends, which was always my goal. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, I wrote here that like uh, you went basically deep down the well in one skill set, right? Which yeah. is listing property in high volume. So I guess quickly before we get into kind of that trajectory for you and what it looked like as far mm -hmm. as, you know, when you got into retail sales and your transaction volume. Talk to me about your commitment to that skill. So like practice, like schedule, like what did that look like? I remember yeah. being at a prospecting school with you and we're sitting on booths across the away from each other. And I said to you, I'm like, listen, brother, if there was an Olympic team of selling, <laughs> you'd be on the team. He's like, yeah, bro, I'd be a starter. And we're setting appointments back and forth, <laughs> right? So, so like, talk to me about like that commitment to that skill. Because I, when I think of you, I think of like a world-class listing agent because you list yeah. anywhere from 15 to 25, sometimes even more listings per month, correct? Yeah. we Last month, last year in, nine, in 2020, we only listed as a company 175, which was down. I mean, the year before like 220, 210, but the difference last year, we sold virtually 101% of our listings. I'm kidding. You know, everything sold. So it worked out. But yeah, I've always had that cadence of, of on the low side, 15, but really 20 was always the goal as an individual agent, 20 listings a month, you know, 
Um, but I think, Aaron, the culture in which uh, I was exposed to when I started in 99 with Greg and Ron Harrelson was so important because they only listed. In fact, they didn't let me negotiate the transaction after we got under contract. It went to the admins. So I was so fortunate early on that it's singular focused on your job is to list property. And then everything else will take care of itself. We've got transaction coordinator. I mean, this is before team was in a buzzword. We had closing coordinators. I wasn't allowed to touch the file. Um, but I would say there was a three-year period, and you may have heard me talk to people about this at events. How do I get to, how do I take 20 lists a month? Well, I, how do you get the success? I said, look, you, you got to spend the first, three, you got to spend the, these are new agents, spend the first three years of your real estate business going to undergrad in real estate training. And here's what that is. 60 contacts a day, every day for three years. I did that. And, and look, 80, 90% of that was cold calls. It's just, if you're in three years of 60 conversations a day, every day of your sales career, you've heard it all. I've heard, I'm going out in a pine box. I've heard that thousands of times and I've got a response for that. I mean, you just hear the same. And so I think the key is for me, it was that education of conversations. I had so many real estate conversations, just like you've had, that I'm not fearful to get on the phone with anybody. I'm not I'm not going to be caught. Sometimes I'll be caught without a response, but you know, you pretty much have heard all the objections and all the stories for the most part when you do that at a high level. So it takes time, but I think you can accelerate your um, growth by, you know, by making that level of conversations versus people want to make 10 calls a day. I mean, you can have success, but it's going to take, you know, it's going to take a little long, a little longer. That's right. Yeah, he's being polite. It's going to take a very, very long time. <laughs> so so I wrote down a few things. It's like three years, which is about whatever that is, a thousand days of your life. Yeah. Of committing to in going deep within the real estate sales conversation around listing property. Yes. Right. So that way that learning curve gets very, very high. And then you can develop confidence, which the Latin derivative of that word means to trust. Yeah. So what I hear you saying to me is in that three years, spending so much time uh, in so many conversations and bombarding your brain with all these different kind of moving parts, you develop trust that in that sales conversation, you're going to know what to say. There's not going to yeah. be something that comes up that you're not prepared for. And yes. without taking the time to do that, like, unfortunately, you're not going to master kind of anything, right? No. That's right. And we did. And we, what I left out is there was role play in those three years, virtually every day, live together. There's about four of us doing that. So that was a big part of that. Yeah. Skill, I, develop, skill development. Yeah, that's right. We role played together for a long time, man. Yeah. I'm talking to the, you talk about the Olympic team. They're the captain of the, of the skill level. So <laughs> yes, that was always brother. inspiring. Hey, that's coming from the silver fox himself. I appreciate that. <laughs> so um, now talk to me about, so, so you spent the time, right? Yeah. Went deep three hours, I mean, three years worth of role play and practice and 60 contacts a day, which was three plus hours of prospecting per day, yeah. I imagine. So talk to me about what happened when you made that commitment, right? So how did your transaction volume look like? Like what was the trajectory? Yeah, very early on. And people ask me that. I don't remember exact numbers, but you know, May of 99 is when I started in general real estate. But I mean, really early on, I, I mean, I, I don't remember doing less than 40 or 50 deals in my career in a year. I mean, I'm sure the first year or two, I did 20 or 30. But by year three, I was up to 50 deals a year. But again, I wasn't going, I wasn't dealing with the transaction. I wasn't 
uh, you know, doing much beyond just listing property. Um, and then, you know, got to 100 deals probably in year eight, nine, 10, and really haven't looked back on 100. And then that's what we'll get into is just how the, how the team kind of, how I came to become a team over time. And we can we can get into that, but that's the trajectory. Deal wise, we were always up to you know up to a hundred deals probably by year eight in the business. Yeah, which is interesting too because I'm also aware like this idea of like patience, right? That it took eight years to get up to a hundred deals. I think people hear that number and they're like, ah, I'm gonna do that like you know tomorrow. It's like, well, you have to grow into the type of person who can make that happen, right? That's right. Yeah. So so and then you did a hundred ish, hundred hundred fifty, hundred like in that yeah. area for a while. Right. Yeah. There was a, I remember yeah. there was a long period of time. Me and you went and uh, shadowed uh, the OG Quinton. Yes, uh, we did. And I remember you had to get permission because uh, your daughter was about to be born. Yep. And uh, <laughs> we went over there and we checked him out and saw what he was doing. And I think that was kind of the beginning for you, beginning to think, right? Planting those seeds. So, mm-hmm. so here you are doing, you know, 150 ish. Your life's great, right? It's not terrible. Yeah. I know you don't work past like 5:30 rarely. Don't work right, on the weekends. Right. Listing all these properties. Yeah. So like what happened that caused this dominant listing agent, Greg Sisson, to be like, you know what? I think I'm going to start building out the buy side business. Yeah. Well, the more I think about that and reflect, Aaron, it was my wife. (laughs) Stephanie has a lot to do with that. Um, You know, my coach, Jose Del Rosario, who you know, I think we started getting into having a buyer's agent just to kind of take advantage of all the, I mean, when you're listing 220 properties a year and I mean, there's so much, you know, so much opportunity on the other side. And it's like, we all, any top listing agent has gone through that kind of conversation with themselves about taking advantage of it. So it started with one or two buyer's agents. And then Stephanie started seeing the results in that and like, well, why don't we just add another one? And then we started, you know, doing a little online leads and it just kind of happened. I know that it's it's not like I said a year, we sat down and said, let's grow to have eight buyer's agents and by 2020 do 368 closings and $93 million in volume. That was not our goal. (laughs) It's just the evolution of just, I think what happens is when you do it for a long time as a listing agent, and I'm in a small market, fairly small market, grew up here, it just became a natural evolution of attracting good people, cultural fits that we want to be around. And it's just, it's, it's been a pleasure to get involved with, but it was not like a singular decision. It kind of just happened over time, like two this year, add a third one. Okay. We're seeing profit there Add a fourth one. Um, so we kind of capped out, like we, we finished this year with eight buyer's agents and we operated most of last year with seven. We added an eighth one towards the end of the year. That's awesome, brother. And I find it so interesting that like it wasn't actually super intentional. It wasn't like you sat down and like you did a business plan around the buy side, say, okay, here's what we're going to do. And here's how much money we're going to earn. It was just kind of like, okay. And I remember having conversations with you at the time. You're like, yeah, I'm spending like a little here and here's what's happening. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, again, super intentional. And yet because you had such, um, you know, a, uh, a firm grip on the listing side of things, it was a natural kind of evolution. And you also mentioned your wife. So, so talk to me about what you feel, because a lot of the agents that um, are out there that are great listing agents, this is a reoccurring conversation. They're always thinking to themselves, okay, like, ah, the buy side. I'm also aware that they're in production. And what I tell people regularly is like, 
when, when the coach is a player, the accountability is weak. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to be focused on taking 20 listings uh, a month and try to focus on like, you know, what else is going on here. So talk to me about what you feel are, I don't know, the three or four most critical pieces that somebody would need to put in place in order, if they're serious about the buy side. Yeah, because I talk to people all the time around the country that are, you know, in my position, they're out of production. And that's the big goal, right? Get out of production. And I understand that. But a lot of times the reason they're getting out of production is to go ahead and, and run the company and be there and serve their staff, their salespeople and, and, and work on the business side. And I get all that. And that's clear. But the reason to, to go back to your question, I mean, Stephanie is our CEO. I mean, she is running the show. And I've been married to this lady for, you know, since 2003. And I mean, it has been a beautiful thing to watch how gifted she is in this. And I had no idea. I mean, I knew she's strong. We butt heads. She's a strong type A personality like me. But I mean, she is so gifted in running the company that I never would have done this without her. And I don't, I'm sure there's someone out there that is that gifted that can do both, Aaron, but you you coach a lot of people. I don't know who that is that can do both at a high level. So for me, so like in all, all honesty, 175 listings last year taken, about 50 of those were from my great buyer's agents that take listings automatically. Because what I've learned is when you run a a really good team, buyer's agents that are good at what they do, we close 202 buyer deals. So you average out, I don't know, about close to 30 per agent. What happens is by osmosis, these buyers, they don't know buyer agent, listing agent, you're a realtor. I want you to list my house because I like you and you've done a great job serving us. So, so that's another bonus. It's a little bit of a rabbit trail of the listings taken. When you can do 200 buyer deals a year, you're going, there's a number there of listings that are going to come to you if you serve that buyer well. So that's been a really unexpected blessing in terms of the business side of it. Yeah, but awesome. so Stephanie, Stephanie runs this, all the admin, all the, all the, all the numbers and just fun, keeping us on track with where we want to go with vendor relationships and all that. And then I'm very, very much plugged in with our agents. I'm there every morning, same way we used to always, I'm in the office, 7.30 and I'm on the phone. We do a daily huddle. So I'm very much, my gifting is just loving on those agents, supporting them, troubleshooting. I love getting in the middle of a negotiation or a challenge or dealing with an objection. So that's kind of my role. And Stephanie does everything else. That's right. The closer comes in. He's like, move out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Let the silver fox get it. I'll take it down. Silver fox. Yeah. I uh, know. I love it, brother. So um, that's awesome. So, and if you were to give a blueprint, so it sounds like having someone, like whether it's yeah. a manager that you hire, a family yes. member, somebody who understands the buy side and who can basically be your implementer, right? Like if you want to stay in production and still list, you know, 10, 12, 15 properties per month, you need somebody who can do that, right? So it sounds like that's a critical piece. And what else would you say are other critical pieces? Like if you were going to build this, like with Legos, right? Yeah. Would you say like, okay, you need like this CRM and then you need like yeah. this, you need these vendors for lead spend and then you need it, right? So like, what would be the formula in your opinion, doing mm-hmm. 200 plus buy sides that somebody can follow that could lead to that result? Yeah. Thank you. That's a great question because I think what we've, you've got to have the system where it's like, it's a plug and play. I mean, these agents are coming in brand new or barely any experience and in year you know, by second year, they're doing 25, 35 deals. Um, so we got a closing cord, two 
licensed closing coordinators. So for us, we don't allow our salespeople to negotiate repairs. So that's a big system or pillar that allows them to be free to sell. Um, so that's part of it. CRM wise, I mean, we've, we've used Boomtown since we've created our team probably six or seven years ago. Um, there's tons of different CRMs, obviously, but that's been super helpful because I think about these agents have, there's eight agents, they have eight accounts and their, their job is to manage that account. That's prospecting, that's follow-up, that's texting them, whatever it is for them. So we do want to create the systems to allow them to follow up you know, very efficiently and take off the administrative work from them. I mean, from closing, get, we, we look at our buyer's agents as our clients. I mean, we serve them at a high level. They have no expenses. We've chosen to the way we run it, where we take care of closing gifts. We take care of all their fees. They just, we don't have them really have to do anything but come in and plug into a system that we know works. We provide their leads we help them generate and, and facilitate their COI because I heard you talk about a moat. I mean, the, the moat or what we surround ourselves with is our past clients and center of influence. That's a sustainable part of the business that I think we all need to be focused on more than ever today. Uh, you know, um, and we've been hearing that our whole careers. So, you know, that's the system. I mean, basically have something that is a well-oiled machine that, that they can plug into. Um, I do believe also, Aaron, it's important, the, the culture of, I mean, them not being on an island. Um, we have had a daily huddle for four years, 15 minutes every morning at 845. If you're not physically here, you have to be on Zoom or you don't get leads that day. I mean, it's like, and it's a wonderful thing. We do positive focus. What are you up to today to be successful? And what are your challenges? And it's just a quick 15 minutes. So I just think having your people I have to stay in front of them every day. I think it's important for the team leader not to be somewhere where they're not seeing their people. I think that's important. I have to still lead by example. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm taking notes here. So one, first thing I wrote down is two closing coordinators. So that way they're not involved in negotiating any repairs or anything like that. Second is, is you use the CRM you use as Boomtown. I'm imagining yeah. that there's spend involved in that, you know, as far as driving traffic right, to right, Boomtown. Right. And then you pay for everything for them, right? They're closing gifts or any dues or any fees. So literally all they have to do is come in the morning, their leads get turned on, you know, perhaps like in Boomtown, all the leads come in and they just got to call and text and, you know, shoot right. bomb videos and do whatever they're going to do. And then that daily huddle, you know, making sure that they visually see the great Greg Sisson every day. Uh, and each other. You know, and, and each other, everybody's got the same challenges, you know, everybody's got the same buyer that's given them the same story or whatever. I mean, everybody can relate to somebody's challenge. Things that you mentioned as far as systematics or systems, you know, we use Dialog Tech. I think that's still the name of it. Um, basically, we have all these different phone numbers. So like if it's a Zillow call, which we still have some spend with Zillow, we're working to hopefully one day get away from that. But the ROI is good. Sign calls, any other marketing pieces, there's these predictable numbers and it rings two or three, four agents at a time. So I think that's important. That speed to lead old school thing. So we're still working, uh, getting, you know, these call like in our market right now, what I'm seeing is if you just show up and actually answer the phone or return calls fast, I mean, you are already differentiating yourself. Um, 
there's a lot of opportunity. I mean, my agents are getting, I've said every, your next phone call can be your next sale. And a lot of them just have this preconceived notion, notion that they have to nurture somebody for six months or 12 months. We're, one of my newest agents has three sales in January where all, they all bought within the first three days. And so she picked up the phone and was available. We also record those calls, Aaron, and listen to them occasionally, like, you know, as training, you know, we'll listen to a little call and, 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 and hear both sides. That's always fun. That's awesome. And then who, um, I'm imagining that it's Steph that holds the, all of them accountable as far as like oh. the leads and making sure they're calling and like all that other stuff. No, I forgot. I have a key person. So we got the eight buyers agents. We have my main man, Richard, who you would love. Richard is our sales manager slash inside sales associate. So he is in the office every day. He is managed. He runs our meetings. He is does accountabilities with the agent. I do one-on-ones with the agents every other week. So I get to do a one-on-one with every agent, um, you know, every other week. Richard is posting all the numbers. He's he's managing the agents when it comes to like accountabilities and, and numbers. He's passing out leads when he's, he's calling through our database all day long and taking inbound calls also, kind of covering when they're out in the field. He's also getting calls. So if they don't pick up, he can pick up. So I do have Richard as a huge help in that regard. That is awesome. And what you said there about speed, it made me think that like technology is changing consumers' expectations. And they expect that you're going to pick up the phone like immediately. And if you don't, they're just going to move on to somebody else, right? Uh, I was on a, I saw uh, one of those platforms, Homelight, they sent me a video of what happens when somebody goes to their website. And within 60 seconds, Greg, 60 seconds, there's an ISA on the phone with the people. Yeah. And they're having a conversation with them. And then within four minutes after kind of pre-qualifying, they do a, a live transfer to an agent. Yeah. And yeah. I thought to myself, I'm like, dude, like that's, that's the direction, right? That's what mm-hmm. agents like yourself are creating a, a, a mini version of that. Right. Same thing. Yeah. Same thing. You think about the top companies in the world, that's what they're doing anyway. If they're whatever product they're selling, you know, the consumer can get immediately get, you know, whether it's tech support or whatever you're getting, you want to get an answer right away. It should be no different in in our business. That's right. Now I'm curious. So um, you mentioned like kind of getting away from Zillow a little bit. So you know, we're doing a lot of buy sides. And I'm also aware, because you've been doing this a long time, longer than I have, that you know, probably over the last couple of years, our game has begun to change pretty rapidly. And yeah. we have these sharp elbowed kind of competitors that are pushing into the game, taking referral mm-hmm. fees. Uh, Zillow yeah. became a broker in 25 states trying to bypass, you know, us getting mm-hmm. data. They're trying to get the data themselves. So like how, because I know that leaders anticipate and everybody else reacts. Yeah. So like how, what are you anticipating and what are you doing in anticipation of that? To and kind of make Stephan- up for that like, yeah. cost of sale going up and net going down mm-hmm. and things of that nature. Stephanie is is my, I mean, she was on the phone with a Zillow person the other day for like an hour, just listening to what's the changes that are happening. And she's, that's what she does most of that. But I think the, the service piece and everybody talks about customer service, but we have literally in the last three years taken that really to heart. And I, I'm, I'm more convinced than ever that the past client, uh, center of influence, serving our people at such a high level that that white glove treatment, you know, is so that is the replacement for the Zillows and the Redfins or whomever's going to trying to move in and take away our business or, or sell us all these leads. And then the cost of sale going up, as you mentioned, I think the past client is the answer to that and the service piece. I mean, 
We have got a lot of cool things that in place that Stephanie knows that I probably won't be able to articulate as far as like, you know, when someone takes a listing, if they're moving out of state, they get boxes, you know, they get like Amazon sends them boxes that we do. There's lotions, there's little just, and people are doing this. I'm sure a lot of people do this already, but I think I just heard from sellers and buyers that they, they are noticing and I'm getting people to say, thank you. We felt like we got first class treatment and that those people want to work with you again. And, and they want to tell a lot of people about it. That's the answer, Aaron, uh, on, on how we replace these high volume people. They're doing 400 deals and you're participating with Zillow. You got to replace it, I think, with with your sphere and past clients. Yeah, I love that, and I love how you're being intentional about like curating experiences. Mm-hmm. Like we, you know, the way we were initially taught is like, okay, my service is that I sold it. Transaction. You're welcome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now it's like this whole evolution to like, dude, I'm sending you boxes, I'm sending you lotion, like I'm curating like an experience. Yes. That therefore you want to share with other people. So kind of, and I'm curious to see your thought because I see this kind of. There'll be like so there'll be divisions of the business. So there'll be the past client centers of influence. They're loyal. They're less commission sensitive, right? They'll refer yeah. you more than once. Then there'll be stuff that you get from online, which has higher cost to sale, which is low margin, right? And then mm-hmm. the game's moving really to volume. So in order yeah. to make up for all of that, I just got to do more. Is that how you see it unfolding, or what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, yeah, I do. I think that's very true, and I think um, I think. People need to realize that uh, it's a long-term kind of game. I mean, if you're choosing real estate as a career, it takes time. And I mean, 50%, Aaron, of our 370 deals are going to be our past clients and center of influence. So I think that's the goal is to get the 50, but also continue to grow uh, the other sources. We've always been taught to have you know multiple sources of business. So it's it's got to go beyond. I heard one of your guests say, talking about you know having... 2,000, 3,000 relationships. I think it was uh, Lee Marcus, but it's just so important to always be expanding your database, uh, no matter where that lead comes from, but you got to be mindful because I know there's a lot of people that are overspending and monitor that ROI, you know, every, every quarter, every month. Yeah. Which is critical because, um, you know, I'm aware that that's, what's the point if we're not, if we're not like the, the purpose of business, yes, is to serve. And the more we serve, we get compensated for that. And it's to pay attention to that ROI. So for you, is there a benchmark on the buy side that you guys like aim for? Like, okay, we want to, it's gotta be like 35%, 50%. What, what is the kind of thought behind that, that you monitor on a regular basis? Yeah. I mean, Stephanie looks at that and I, I think we're very fortunate in our market uh, we're still a smaller market, and um, we have really got into a niche area down in Pauly's Island, which is a little bit higher end. And we're we're the we're getting a ton of Zillow activity there. I think our ROI is is close to three to one down there in our spend. So that's awesome. And then there's a piece that it's it's if you're doing it at high volume, there's another piece that we don't think about is if is on the listing side. And if you can have that transaction, yes, the cost of sales is a little is a little higher. But if I serve that person at such a high level, I don't have to buy them again. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It, I, it, it, I, it's so interesting you, know? you say that because I I've had numerous times this year where through getting listing leads through one of these platforms, whether it be like a home light or a fast expert right. or whatever. And then you you help them, and yes, the cost of sales higher because you're paying a referral fee. But then they're like, "Oh yeah, I got this other property I got to sell too." Yeah. So they get into the database, and then you can help them again, right? Um, every so tra- every yeah, every deal should be thinking there's there's one more deal on every deal. I tell the buyers agents, you've, there's got to be another deal somewhere in that buyer deal that you did. 
they're going to buy another one. They know someone, they can give you a referral. They've, they've got a listing. You know, there's always, so that's the first question I, they ask the buyers uh, is what other properties in Myrtle Beach do you own right now? Yeah. You know, what else do you own here? Because every, every, I can't help myself, right? We're listing agents. I mean, you know, you call me, what do you have that I can yeah. help you sell? I just you know? had a vision of like one of those hunting dogs, like just like sniffing, like, <laughs> Yeah. Where's the listing, bro? Where's the listing? I know it's here somewhere. That's right. <laughs> so That's right. I'm curious then. So here you are. You did how many deals last year? We closed 368 last That's year. Awesome, brother. Good for you. Thank and you. so where do you see like this, right? Going like five years from now? Like what is what does Greg Sisson and, and Associates yeah. look like? What does the team look like? Are you still in production? Like what's the vision or is there one? Yeah, no, th that's a great question. I think a lot, this may surprise a lot of people in five, 10 years from now, the, the, the right answer for us always was, oh, 500, 1,000. But I'm telling you right now, we're, I really believe um, that with eight buyer's agents, two transaction coordinators, two listing coordinators, ISA, me and Stephanie, and we've got a runner, I, 400 getting really lean and just watching expenses and just clipping off 400 deals is really, and I know I'm, I'm not worried about trying to, for the numbers sake, I think from a profitability sake, if we go like to 450, we got to add another transaction coordinator or we're not serving our clients like we want to serve them. So I think there's just a sweet spot, Aaron, of unless I don't want to have a hundred agents, I don't want to have more than really eight or nine. <laughs> and so it's just a, for us, five years from now, I do think that I could be continuing to back out of production. The hardest part of, I think, in our business for me is to duplicate myself on a true listing agent. And I've always been attached to that. Like, I've got to replace myself. I've got to have a listing agent. But I think having eight buyer's agents that are great at what they do, taking 10 listings a year, 10 to 15 a year, you kind of have replaced yourself. And then I can take if I want to take Fridays off and work Monday through Thursday, three to five, three or four or five years from now, that's still a great life. Like it's not hard for me to go list three or four properties, you know, a week and still have a great life and manage to help manage the salespeople. So that's, that's the vision for us. I, I will be super thrilled at 400, just continuing to be very profitable uh, and, and helping the agents grow as well. That's awesome, brother. Well, that's terrific. So um, any last kind of suggestions, anything else that you would recommend for any agents out there that are thinking about seriously working on the buy side of things? Working on the buy side, meaning in, in a team leader yeah. adding buyers agents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think one of the things I heard early on was don't just hire one, hire two. So if you're a single agent, you know, bring on two buyers agents because you're going to train them both at the same time. And if one leaves, you still got one. But I think, you know, not trying to become a mega team tomorrow. I think you mentioned that, Aaron. I mean, understand it takes time. And I think I think investing in that buyer's agent and really letting go of any fear they're going to leave you because they're going to leave. Occasionally, somebody's going to leave. But you can't hold back. I think you can't hold back in, in loving on them in the respect of loving on them, meaning giving everything you have to them, being available. Don't get defensive. I've gotten mad. I've been internally like frustrated because they're taking my time in the past. And that's, you think about that. You've hired a buyer's agent on your team and they, they're asking you to help them and you get frustrated. So you have to understand that number one, you got to give them your love. You got to give them time. Number two, you better have somebody to help you if you want to maintain your production. 
like my, my wife or hire someone eventually. I think that would be the goal. So start small too, and then grow it slowly, but give them your time. And if you want to get to six or eight or more, you're going to need some help on the management side for sure. And there you go, ladies and gentlemen, the blueprint from the man himself. So listen, brother, again, I appreciate you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. If people want to find you, if they want to connect with you, like where can they, where can they find Greg Sisson? I think probably just going to gregsisson.com and my email address is greg at gregsisson.com. That'd be a good, a good place to find me. And uh, so, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity, Aaron. It's been too long. Yeah, man, for sure. And listen, he's an open book. He's an awesome human. He will uh, spend some time with you. Quick conversation. I think a lot of people are intimidated perhaps to reach out to somebody like Greg, but he's an awesome guy. So I appreciate you, man, and uh, look forward to reconnecting soon. Great, Aaron. Thanks for having me, brother. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the Aaron Novello podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow Aaron on Instagram at Aaron Novello. Happy hunting.